Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Good morning, everyone. You guys feeling alive today? Listen, um, I, I just wanted to make just a quick comment. I, I know that, you know, when moments like this happen in our nation, it kind of stirs up just a lot of stuff on the inside. And um, but uh, but I'm, is, I, I want to be incredibly sensitive to that. But I, I also want to say that, you know, moments like this point to a greater issue. And, um, and that's really, we have a great opportunity with the gospel that the light shines the brightest in the dark. And so I just want to encourage you just, just where you're at to say that, man, what's going to change is not by telling people to change their behavior. It's going to be when hearts are transformed and moved. And, and that's where behavior, behavior modification doesn't work that well. Heart transformation works all the time. Yeah. If God can change a heart. Um, and he can change the hardest heart, but man, it's our responsibility as a church to get out there and let people know what the deal is. Psalm chapter 90, if you guys have your Bibles, open it up there. Psalm chapter 90, starting in verse 12. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12 says this, teach us to realize the brevity of life. In other words, uh, another translation says, Lord, teach us to number our days. Why? So that we may grow in wisdom. We're in a brand new series uh, that we started last week entitled Don't Miss Your Moment. And I want to speak to you today from the subject of a little bit goes a long way. A little bit goes a long way. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for, Lord, just the brief moments that we share together. God, we want to encounter you in a real way. We didn't come here to play church. Um, God, we came to encounter you. We, we uh, ask that you would speak to us through your word in a way that only you can. God, I pray that we'd have a lot of fun on the journey. And uh, just ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, and awaken our hearts to the reality and to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, 2007... Uh, a plane caught on fire. It was flight 120 of Chinese Airlines, landed in Japan, unloaded 157 passengers, all which were unharmed. And next thing you know, uh, the right wing begins to catch on fire. Now, they're a little bit perplexed because they landed just fine. Everything seemed to be okay. Gauges are checking out. And uh, not only does it, it catch on fire, now the whole plane starts to consume. Now, after a little bit of investigation, what they figured out is that a small bolt had come loose. And that bolt ended up going into the fuel tank, hence creating a fire as the engines are going. Let me show you a picture of this plane just for a moment. This is, a, this is what it looked like just before it, it started to actually blow up and, you know, a lot of junk was flying everywhere. This is about a $17 million damage report from a little bolt. Matter of fact, they got a, I got a picture of it for you. You want to see? Little bolt penetrating the fuel tank. That was the cause of all that massive damage. Now, by the grace of God, nobody got hurt. Uh, we had, or nobody uh, got seriously hurt. There was a few people that worked for the airlines that uh, suffered some minor injuries. But, but they said the reason why the bolt came out, it wasn't even the bolt that was an issue. It was a small little washer that wasn't put into place. 
And so as a result, the bolt got loose. And as the mechanisms were working together, as the wing, there's a whole bunch of machinery that, you know, they go, that type of stuff. And uh, as they were moving, it jammed it into one of the fuel tanks and caught, started a massive fire. Now, now, as much as this is shocking to say that, man, that one washer, small little tiny little washer created, you know, $17 million worth of damage, not including all the luggage and probably all the lawsuits and everything else they had to deal with. It doesn't surprise me because the wisest person to ever walk the face of the earth was a man by the name of Solomon. He's King David's son. And he writes to us in Song of Songs, chapter 2. Look what he says. He says that it's, he said, catch the small foxes for us. The little foxes. Why? Because it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. For our vineyards are in blossom. See, what would happen is foxes would come into vineyards. I'm sure they experienced this in Livermore to some degree. Uh, they would come into the vineyards and they would destroy the vine either before it actually is able to bear fruit or it would come and snatch the fruit uh, before it's ripe. So neither way, either way, you're not going to enjoy the fruit. And I, I started to think that many times when we think about missing our moments, we think about big moments, don't we? We think about the, the big opportunity. It can be in a plethora of different areas. It could be career. It could be relationships. It could be financially even spiritually, that we're just waiting and wanting this big moment. And we don't want to miss it. We want to be ready for that. But what I've come to understand, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is that sometimes it's the small moments we miss every day that can have the biggest impact on our tomorrow. Isn't that true? It's the small moments every single day that can have the biggest impact on our tomorrow. I'll prove it to you. I, think about the things that we're frustrated about. Like, anybody clean your house this week? <laughs> I don't know if your house is like my house, but we like to clean on Sundays, right? We get ready for the week, we clean up, do a deep clean, and then by Monday evening, it's tore up again. <laughs> and it's not because of a, a big event or a tornado blew through our home. If you consider kids tornadoes, then maybe. But it's because we miss some small maintenance moments along the way that in just a short period of time has a huge impact. You know, you put your shoes over here, you lay your jacket there. One meal tears up everything. Does anybody agree with that? And if you let it go, you let the dishes go, you don't do it on the spot, all of a sudden it's like the whole house gets polluted. I, it's, if, if the kitchen is dirty, it feels like everything is dirty. Am I the only human in here? All right. Let, let, me take it a little, let me take it a little bit deeper. What about spiritually? Like, like we have this incredible love letter from God that God says, listen, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Matter of fact, I, written it down, I wrote it down for you. I, we have this incredible opportunity to connect with God every single day. But it's so easy to neglect that daily opportunity, isn't it? And then one day turns into two days, turns into three. A month goes by, two months go by, six months go by. And it's like, Pastor Matt, I don't know what's wrong. All of a sudden, I just feel so disconnected from God. I kicked the cat this morning. I'm just, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm wrestling. Come on, you know cats aren't going to be in heaven. Maybe lions. Cats aren't going to be in heaven. I'm just kidding, all you cat lovers. You guys are laughing because you know it's the truth. But... 
But all of a sudden, it's like, man, I don't know. I don't know why I'm struggling spiritually. All of a sudden, I just feel so removed and disconnected. I don't feel like there's life. I feel so unfulfilled. Well, well, yeah, it wasn't a big moment. It was simply a series of small moments every day that you miss that end up having a huge impact on your tomorrow. Let me unpack this just a little bit further. Maybe you have a dream that God has put in your heart. Maybe he's given you a vision for something. But because of the busyness of life, you don't really have time to devote a lot to that dream. And so rather than devoting a little bit to it every single day, you just haven't devoted any time to it at all. And so now years have passed, and you look back, and you're like, oh, man. Like if I would have just capitalized a little bit every single day, I would have been that much closer. All right, if that's not resonating, what, what about what about married couples? Maybe some of you have some kids that graduated or recently graduated or will graduate soon. A lot of times what I see with couples is uh, their, their kids will go off to college and husband and wife look at each other like, so, what's your name? Right, because we don't, I don't even know you anymore because we have invested our time all into our kids and all these things. And it wasn't this big event that happened called graduation that messed it all up. It's no, we missed some small moments to invest in our marriage every single day. Now, some of you guys are already mad at me because you're like, I came to church to be encouraged, and now I'm depressed because of all the moments I'm reminded that I missed. And listen, I don't want you to feel guilty, but I do want you to feel tension. Because I feel like we got to get an angst on the inside of us again. And angst that says, man, Lord, I don't want to miss any more moments. I don't want to let just, just these moments pass that I know. Because if I asked you what's really important and, and you would tell me, but then I look at your schedule and it looks nothing like that. And so I, I hope that we would feel a little bit of tension that would say, God, I don't want to miss any more moments. Because here's what's at stake. Relationships are at stake. A generation is at stake. I mean, if we don't have time for our, our kids, if we don't have time to invest in the next generation, there's so much on the line. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to feel a little bit of tension about this. In fact, there's an enemy of your soul. I mean, you guys might know him as, as the devil, Satan. We don't like to talk about him too much in church, but I think he loves that because there's a real spiritual battle happening. Like Satan doesn't want you to have an awesome family. He doesn't want you to raise your kids well. You know, he, he doesn't want us, he doesn't want things to, to work well and to work right, and I really don't care too much what he wants. However, we're, we're not ignorant of his schemes, and sometimes I think we imagine that the enemy would love to come after these big moments in our life, but I think some of his most strategic schemes is it has nothing to do with our big moments. It's a matter of fact, it's, it's, he would rather have us miss small moments every single day because he knows that if we miss small moments every day, it's going to have a huge impact on our tomorrow. Like, really think about it. He would love to get you just stressed enough. If you're taking notes, you can jot some of these down. Maybe jot one down that sticks out to you. But he, he would love to get you just stressed enough not to get a divorce. I'm just going to push you to that brink where you're not going to get a divorce, but you're definitely not going to invest in your marriage. You're not going to experience a meaningful marriage. Probably is going to struggle in the family with your kids. It's, it's not going to work out too well. Just stressed enough so you won't get a divorce. Just don't want you to be fruitful. Or what about this? Let me keep you just busy enough not to be effective. Like, like you can have all these dreams and stuff, and you can have all these, like, hoorah moments of, I have a dream in my heart, and, and all those stuff. But that's cool. I'm just going to keep you busy just enough so that you're not effective in any of them. 
Or what about this one? This one I struggle with. What about he, he, he wants to keep us just preoccupied enough not to be present? Come on, you know how that is when you're, you're huh? Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. What I say? Huh? You guys know those conversations, right? Where it's like we're there, but we're really not there. We're somewhere else. And we, and we got to fight to be present. What about this one? I think this one resonates a ton. With, it doesn't matter how old you are or where you come from. He would love to get you just tired enough so you miss what matters. Right? Forget all this, like, attacking these big moments. Let me just work on your small moments every single day and wear you down. So I, I think all of us would agree that's not the type of life that we want to live. That's not the type of life that God has called us to live. So, so what do we do with that? Like, do we just say, okay, I just got to work harder at trying to figure it out? I just need to, maybe I just need to drink more coffee so I can just run around to this place and this place. Like, you can try all that. Listen, I don't believe you're anointed unless you drink coffee. So I, I don't even get up to preach until I, oh, I'm just kidding. But, but I would propose to you that really what we need, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is we need a washer of wisdom. A washer of wisdom. Uh, let me explain. So a washer does two things. The reason why this plane exploded into to flames was, was because of this little washer. And this little washer, it, it does two things. Number one, a washer is a little tiny circle thing that the bolt screws into that attaches to a surface. And what it does is one of the things, it, distri- uh, it, it, it helps the, to, to manage the pressure. It actually evens it all out. So in other words, without the washer, uh, many times you can drill right into the surface and you'll puncture right through the actual object you're drilling into. Why? Because there, there's too much pressure going in, 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 into the surface and so the washer distributes the pressure so that it won't break, you won't damage the surface basically. But a washer also does something else. As many times as you place, um, uh, as you're drilling into a surface, the majority of time it's uneven. And that's what happened to this plane. Like this, this bolt was, was screwed in, but it was the surface that it was pressed up against wasn't level. And so over a period of time with shaking and rumbling, the, the bolt just kind of works itself out, falls out, and the plane catches on fire. And so what the, the washer does is it pro- provides a smooth surface so that the bolt can lock in tightly. And no matter how much shaking, no matter how much is, is, is it's being rattled, it, it, it stays the course. And so for you and I, I mean, the truth is we live in a world full of pressure. And it's so easy not only to miss our moments, but to, to break those moments and damage them. But we, we also live in a world that's, I don't know if your world's like my world, but it doesn't seem like things are really smooth all the time. There's always rough edges. There's always jagged spots. And, and we need the washer of wisdom to go in between our heart in our moments so that we won't miss them. You say, well, what, what is wisdom? What in the world is wisdom? I, I love the ESV study Bible, how it words it. Look what it says. It says this, wisdom is a God-given and God-centered understanding regarding the practical issues in life. It's, it's knowing how to prioritize. It's understanding how to work practically with the things that, with the life that God has given to us, and, and, and it's, it's God-given and it's God-centered understanding regarding the practical issues in life. 
I, I, when I think about wisdom, you, you have to think about the prayer of Moses in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, which we read. So let, let's go there again. Look what Moses prays. Are you guys with me? He says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. There's something about when, we, when we're under pressure or when, when we feel a time restraint or when we're pressed for time, it causes us to shift our priorities, doesn't it? Like if I told you today, hey, you're dying tomorrow. I think your Sunday, the way you live today, will look a whole lot different than your last Sunday. Right? You're not going to leave here or during my sermon, you're not going to think about lunch. You're probably going to really lean in and say, like, I'm going to be dead tomorrow, so God might be a little bit more interesting at that point. I mean, there's something about when we're pressed for time, our priorities tend to shift. I remember hearing a story of a professor who got offered to speak at a military base. And um, he was at the airport, and a soldier by the name of Ralph came and picked him up. And he met him at the gate, and they were on their way to the baggage claim. And he said, I couldn't believe it. He said, Ralph stopped about four times. The first time he stopped to help a woman with her luggage. The second time he stopped to help uh, pick up some kids so they can see Santa Claus because it was during Christmas time. Uh, the next uh, uh, moment, uh, Ralph stopped to, to pick up some trash. The next moment, he stopped to give somebody directions. And each time, the professor said he came back with a smile on his face. And so we asked Ralph, he said, man, where'd you learn that? Like, where did you learn to be so courteous? Where did you learn to, to just kind of be in the moment? And he kind of laughs and said, I don't know, I, I, I guess maybe the war. And so we started to share his story of his experience as a soldier in the Vietnam War. And his particular job was to look for and identify landmines. And this is what he said. He said, my job was to clear minefields. And so as a result, you could only imagine I watched so many of my friends blow up before my eyes one after another. So I learned to live between the steps, he said. I never knew whether the next one would be my last, so I learned to get everything I could out of the moment between when I picked up my foot and when I put it down again. Every step I took was a whole new world, and I guess I've just been that way ever since. I mean, there's just something about understanding that life is so short. I mean, we look at our life here, and compared to eternity, it's it's so small, but we don't think about eternity a lot. And so sometimes our priorities get mixed up and, and, and we don't prioritize the way that we should. And we don't invest in the things that are important. And then we regret and we miss our moments and, and we wonder like, oh, man, this is frustrating. But the good news is that Moses gives us super encouragement because he says, listen, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we can grow in wisdom. So the good news is if you lack wisdom today or you don't have much wisdom or you're struggling with your wisdom, good news is this. You get to grow. You can grow in it. It's not something like you're stuck or all of a sudden you're going to arrive. You get to grow in wisdom. And the key to all of this, I believe, is what Moses prays at the very top is teach us. Lord, I don't know how to do this. God, you see from a whole different perspective. You see from a whole another point of view. God, you see the beginning from the end. God, I don't know how to do this. Would you teach me? Would you teach me to, um, to be a good steward of my time? 
Would you teach me to evaluate my time? Would you teach me what's important and what's not? God, would you show me where I should be focusing so I don't miss my moments? God, I need you to teach me. And, and I think it's, it's really cool because Proverbs chapter 9, look what Proverbs chapter 9 says. It says this, that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. It's the very beginning of it. And knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. And so what Moses is saying is, God, I, I, I know who you are. Like, I know that, that you're sovereign over all things. I know that you tell the sun to stay. You put the moon and the stars in their place. God, you know. And, and it encouraged Moses not to, to, to be afraid in the sense of, of, of anxiety or terror. And see, a lot of people get this mixed up. Like, the fear of the Lord is, hey, don't do that or you'll burn. That's not bad all the time, if I can just be honest. Like, sometimes it's good to be afraid. Like, if you're stepping in and there's a lion there, like you, or, or a bear is coming, you should be afraid. That's a great time to be afraid. And that's a great time to call out to God. <laughs> but fear of the Lord hey, and fetal position. Don't run. Fetal <laughs> position. But the fear of the Lord, he's not talking about this panic fear. And a lot of times, you know, this is what we do in church. We, we say, well, it's not, you know, we don't want to terrify anybody. It's a reverent fear. All right, so don't get scared. But there's something before the reverence. There's an awe. There's an awestruck wonder that says, oh, man, you're big and you're majestic and you're all powerful and you're all knowing and your thoughts are so much higher than my thoughts and your ways are so much higher than our ways. How amazing is that? See, when, I, when Jack and I went to the Grand Canyon, let me show you a picture. This isn't us, but you'll catch the drift. The Grand Canyon, this is just a spectacular place. If you've never been, you should go. But when I approached the Grand Canyon, I wasn't like, oh, no, the Grand Canyon. Watch out. But as I stepped over that edge and I looked out, there was an awestruck wonder that was like, whoa, you're big and I'm not. And we're talking about the one who made the Grand Canyon. We're talking the one that say, like, he doesn't get confused and say, hey, Holy Spirit, watch out for that big hole in the earth, right? He know, he made it. He made it. And there's this awe of his beauty, of his majesty, of his presence, his omnipotent, his omniscience, his omnipresence. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, always present. That says, oh, Lord, I want your thoughts. I want your ways. Because I know you're thinking on a whole different level. Like, why would you settle? For anything less. So this is, this is my definition or a definition. I kind of pieced a few things together. So let me show you that the fear of the Lord, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. If it's too long, I'll give it to you after. The fear of the Lord is a state of heart and mind in which one's own attitude, will, feelings, deeds, and goals are exchanged for God's. It's just where we say, God, I want what you have. I want everything which you have, and I'm willing to exchange everything that I have all. Because here's the bottom line. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because without God, there is, you don't have wisdom. You may think you do. I don't need God. I'm so much wiser. Well, good luck. Because one of the things that's so amazing about God's word, you can criticize it all you want, but it has stood the test of time. 
civilization kings. People have tried to, you know, out, they've tried to destroy the Bible. But guess what? It's still here in more languages than ever. Why? Because God is way too smart. Like you can't fool him. And and the beauty of it is is we get to grow in our knowledge of him. And so so here's here's what I want to get at. What do we do? Like, where do we begin? And I think a great start, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. I just want to give you three quick things. The first thing is that if we want to grow in wisdom and not miss our moments, if we want to know what it's like to fear the Lord, listen, when you exchange yourself and your life for him, you're not going to miss it. Trust me. Are you tracking me? Every time I've missed it, it's because I've missed it. Because I want to do my own thing. I want to go my own way. I, I think... And, and this is going to just, I think, open up your heart and mind in a brand new way. The first thing is if you're taking notes, jot this down. How do we gain wisdom? How do we grow? We need to ask God for it. Oh, man, rocket science, right? Ask God for wisdom. But when's the last time you asked him for that? And, and, and I love this passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. The apostle Paul, look what he says. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is the apostle Paul praying for the church in Ephesus. And he says this, he says, and in my prayers, I've been asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. There's a whole lot to unpack, and I can't unpack this whole passage. Paul goes on to say, if you could only know the hope to which he's called you, the inheritance to what he has in store, and how he sees you, it's, it's, it will blow your mind. But Paul's saying, it's so mind-blowing, I can't teach you. I I, I wish I could. So so because I can't teach you, because it's so incredible, it's something that only comes with an intimate relationship, with an intimate knowledge of God. God has to give it to you. Are you guys tracking with this? And he he says, so even though I may not be able to teach you all this, I'm praying that God would give you a that would give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of him. Now, this is so big. What Paul was saying is he's trying to help these guys, and Paul's going to help us today. Because many times we miss our moment because we're searching things, or we're searching for things that are only found in God. And so what Paul is saying to the church here, he's saying, listen, I want you to know him more. Why? Because if you know him more, you'll stop frantically searching for everything you already have. I mean, think about how this would change and affect every moment of your life. Like sometimes we're frantically running around pursuing security when we have it in him. We're frantically running around trying to find hope. And Paul says, if you can only know the hope to which he's called you. We're frantically running around trying to figure out, you know, um, uh, our our identity. And and Paul's like, your identity's in him. And we're running around and we're trying to find this peace and this contentment. And Paul's like, why you, you don't have to frantically search. In Christ, you already got that. If you could only know who he is and who it is that lives on the inside of you, you probably would have a lot more space. Because you wouldn't be frantically worried about all these other things. And when the moments come... I mean, really think about that. So many of our schedules are overwhelmed, not not because of anything else except we're trying to find something that's only found in him. Or we're trying to grab something that we already have in him as a follower of Jesus. 
like I worked a thousand hours. Why? Because I need to feel important. The cross screams I'm important. Are you guys tracking with me? Imagine if, if, all, if, if all these things that, that we pursue so frantically, if, they were, if we realized that we already have them in Christ, how would that change how we treat each other? How would that change how we see every moment? There was a painter, Warren Wiersbe tells a story. He's a theologian guy. And he tells a story. He said this painter was so adamant on getting this painting. He got all of his team together. He says, I want you to search the world. Find this painting. I'll pay whatever the price is. So they searched the world. They combed the globe. And finally they came back to him and said, sir, you already own that painting. It's in one of your stores. It's in England somewhere. You, it's yours. Oh, it is? Okay. Like, man, if we could only know we can only know him more, man, it will completely change the pace of our life and affect our moments. Number two, if you're taking notes, jot this down. We need to submit to what God has already spoken. There's a little obscure passage. Um, well, let me explain what I mean by that. Like, God has already said a lot. Are you tracking with me? Like, the Bible is full of what God said. So there's, there's a lot of wisdom that's available to us already every single moment. Wait, I mean, we just open it up. Some of us got 10, 12 Bibles in the house. Don't pick them up. You know, you have, there's so much wisdom that God has already spoken. There's so much knowledge of himself that he's already revealed. And, and so, so I, I don't want to dismiss, you know, there is a, there is a spiritual component where you got to connect with God and something supernatural has to happen in your heart. You need to ask him. James, listen, James chapter, uh, chapter 1 verse 5 says, he who lacks wisdom, let him ask, and God would freely give liberally. So it's not like God's like, oh, you're like one of my favorites, so I'm going to give you wisdom and not you. No, God said, just when you ask me, really believe I'm going to give it to you. So there is a spirit, there is a spiritual, but then there's a very practical component that's still just as spiritual, but God has already spoken it to us. We just need to respond. We need to submit to what he's already spoken. So there's this famous story about this kid named David. He fought a big giant called Goliath. Anybody heard of that? Okay, maybe not. Um, but there's this small, obscure verse. So let me, let me paint a quick picture for you and, uh, and to help you understand this context. So, so King David gets anointed to be the next king of Israel as a teenager. Now, that's pretty awesome. Like all of his brothers who look like kings get rejected, and Samuel the prophet says, you're the guy. You have a heart after God. You're the guy. Awesome. Fast forward a little bit. Time is passing, and David's still working for his father, tending his sheep, doing what he does. And there's a small little passage in 1 Samuel 17, verse 17. Look what it says. I want to show you how wisdom works. So one day Jesse said to David, take this, Jesse's his dad, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. Now, think about this. Uh, Dad, I've, I've been anointed as king. I mean, the Aaron guy? I mean, come on, Dad, surely you can find somebody else to go take bread to these guys. But da David doesn't complain at all. Why? Because David understood wisdom. Why David understood to submit to what God has already spoken to and what God has already spoken that David knew very clearly is you are to honor thy father and mother. Because David, is, he's still a boy. He's still in the house of his dad. He's, he's, he's like, so when his dad says go, you go. 
And, and so get this picture in your mind. So here David submits to what God has already spoken, humbles himself, and is willing to take on the smallest of tasks. And it's this small task that leads to his greatest moment. Are you guys tracking with that? It's something so small, a small moment that David didn't miss that led to one of the biggest moments of his life. Man, sometimes we're missing our moments not because we need a, a, this massive revelation from God. We're missing our moments because we're not submitting and trusting what he's already said. And God is saying, man, if you would just trust me in some of the small things, you never know when you say yes to that small moment that it might turn into a huge one. It's huge. And the last one is this. Wisdom walks with others. We're just taking a walk down the memory journey lane of wisdom today. Wisdom walks with others. Look, look what it says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. It says this, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, Cam, you can come up for me. And, and let me just break this down for you just for a moment. There's a promise here. There's a promise that wisdom is contagious. That if you're walking with people who are wise, what happens? You're going to become wise. Now, now, now look what he says. For a, fool, for a companion of fool suffers harm. He doesn't say if you hang out with a fool, you'll become a fool. Let me explain this. Just because you hang out with a fool doesn't mean you're going to do what they do. That's not the promise. But what he's saying is eventually you're going to suffer harm because their decisions are going to affect your life. Let me paint a great picture for you. Just giving my life to Jesus. I'm coming back. I just got back from St. Louis. Fresh, like I literally, like just a couple months before, surrendered my life to Jesus. So I come back here, and all my old friends, I mean, that, that's all I knew. So I said, well, I'm just going to go hang out with them. I'm not going to do anything that they're doing, but I'm just going to go. Like, I, I don't know what else to do. So I connect with them. We're doing something very innocent. You guys ready for this? We're going to pick up a PlayStation, right? We're not going to, like, rob anybody. We're not going to. We're just going to pick up a PlayStation. So we're coming back on the freeway, 580, right before Tennyson. And, and I, I, it's really foggy. It's one of the most foggiest days that we've ever had in the Bay Area, and I've been here my entire life. And I remember I looked out the window, and I just saw this flash come out of the window out of this other car and I was like what is that flash and then my friend grabs me and says get down and you just feel the bullets start hitting the side boom 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 on the freeway and so we get back to the house and, and we look and I was the only one sitting in the back and all the bullets just were like all in the back area and thank the Lord for 72 cutlass big steel mobiles Toyota I would have been done and, and I, I remember this, this thought, like, man I, I, man, I love these guys to death. I just can't walk with them anymore. Like, I, I can meet with them, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I have to engage them because they're my friend. I want to see them come to know Jesus. So it's not like, sorry, guys, I'm holy. I'm walking with the wise now. Um, no, like, I'm trying to figure this all out. But, 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 but the, the, the point was that, man, 
man, if we, if we surround ourselves with wise people, we're going to be wise. But, but out over a period of time as you're surrounding yourself with people and, and we like to make so many different excuses of why we need to hang out with them and why this and all that. But listen, all I'm saying is this. We are a church that loves people who are far from God. And we will do anything short of sin to reach them. So I'm not saying don't engage the world. But I'm saying, man, make sure you're walking with wise people. That's why small groups are so key for us. That's why we are a church that doesn't just do small groups. We're a church of small groups. Why? Because, hey, we may not be the wisest, but we're on that journey. We're, why, how do I know that? Because we're saying in our small groups, Lord, what do you have to say? Lord, can you teach me to number my days? Can you show me? Can you help me, Lord? I would gladly exchange all of my ideas, thoughts, goals, and all for yours. Can you help us as we walk together, as we sharpen one another? So we have a new semester kicking off September 10th. Walk with wise people. Don't be afraid of that. And today we have small group leader training. Maybe God is calling you to create an environment so people can walk with the wise. You said, is that a shameless plug? It is. Because it's necessary. 